Have you ever experienced a, a moment where you were speechless? There haven't been many of those for me. But have, have you ever had that kind of thing just touch you so deeply or your mind could not wrap around it? A uh, couple of times, uh, and I mentioned once before when Beth and I were and the family were on vacation to uh, Rocky Mountains. When we had never, I'd never seen them, and the, the size of the mountains and the beauty of the vistas and the wildlife that is there. And Beth and I came around a corner, and we were saying, "I wonder when we're going to start seeing these incredible mountains." We came around a corner, and there was this giant, beautiful mountain right in front of us, and we were just, we just gasped for air. We pulled the car over, and we got out, and we just stood and looked at it. And it's hard to put into words. Just that kind of unspeakableness about things that are bigger than us that we can't explain. At a moment like that last night, when the Lord gave us the privilege uh, of uh, praying with my two grandchildren that are going to be baptized later today, their parents, my daughter and son-in-law, have raised them to talk about Jesus and know Jesus, but they gave us the privilege of leading them in the prayer to become Christians, to be saved. So we gathered around them, touched them, and made sure they understood to the best of our ability and shared the gospel with them. And they both said they wanted to follow Jesus with their lives. That's another one of those moments that a granddad can't put into words. And often when I can't put things into words, I'll just cry. My, my eyes will tear up because there's nothing there. Well, I want to talk about that experience with God, especially as we move into this Christmas season. I'm praying hard that you're not so overwhelmed by the busyness of the season and the pressure to buy the gifts and the, the push and the tug to perform. I'm praying that you aren't so overwhelmed by that that you forget to stop and be in awe of what this holiday means to us as believers. So we're going to dive into familiar scripture today that hopefully pushes us that direction. And I was kind of captured by this idea of being unspeakable. I mentioned last week, Revelation chapter 8, as the scripture describes the, the future and the Lord opening up the seventh seal, the scripture says, and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, for sure, there's a lot of theology there that we could dive into to try to understand what exactly was taking place in heaven. Even if we could know anything about it, it would be amazing. But what struck me was the silence. There are things even in heaven that create moments, obviously, where no words would make sense. No words could matter. And I got stuck by that in my study, this idea of such a sense of wonder that, that words can't be found. Uh, I quoted last week from Henrik Zimmer who said, you know what, the best things in life can't be said. The very best things, the most wonderful things. And you know that's true. There's things that just can't be expressed in words. Peter, and we're going to dive into what he said. First Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Peter said something about this inexpressible or unspeakable joy. He said, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what he said. He, he tells us that whatever this is, this wonderful joy, we're filled with it. We're filled with it. It's inexpressible. In the King James, it says unspeakable. 
But it's a joy, and it's a glorious joy. When the Scripture talks about glory, that's a God quality that's touching something. Godness. Glorious, godlike joy. That's what he said we're filled with. He said we're filled with a God joy that is inexpressible. That's rich. I also paused there quite a bit and just tried to capture what that means to my life to have that joy in my heart. When I was a little kid, we sang a song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Any of you remember that? And you go, down in my heart, where? Down in my heart, where? Down in my heart. That's rich. That's Yeah, somebody's singing. Who's singing it? Oh, it's good. I, I knew it'd be you. That's awesome. It's a good song. It's a good song because it, there is a joy, but sometimes it gets covered up. I'm not saying it goes away, but I think it can be covered up or hidden from us sometimes by the pressures and the labor and the push of life. So I want to pray this morning that you reattach yourself to that thing that Peter said is in you. Now, it's an interesting word choice for Peter here because Peter's writing two letters, First Peter, Second Peter, we call them, and they're two believers who've been scattered throughout uh, five regions of the Roman church, okay? And, and they're not scattered because of personal growth or job opportunities. They've been scattered because of persecution. The Bible talks, or, or theologians call this the dispersion. They were pushed out of Jerusalem first, the the Jews, and then as Gentiles found Christ, they too became objects of persecution in this Roman world. And so the first Peter, uh, the first verse of first Peter calls them God's elect who are pilgrims, exiles scattered throughout this Roman empire, pushed out of Jerusalem into live in a Roman dominated world that was hostile toward people of faith gave them problems, many of them died, but they were called into that situation to live out and be Jesus' people. Now, most of us in this room have never experienced real persecution. We have it. We, maybe somebody made fun of you at work or somebody snickers behind their back about you or someone talks about you when you're not in the room. And every now and then I've met people who literally told me, I don't want to hear what you have to say. But that's not the kind of person persecution that they had. That's easy stuff. These guys could be burned at stake. They could be crucified, tortured, all of their worldly possessions taken from them. It was tough to be a first Christian, a first century Christian. And yet Paul or Peter says to them, You're filled with an inexpressible, glorious, godlike joy. And he's wanting to remind them of that. It's beautiful. And the word joy conjures up all sorts of thoughts for me. And, you know, sometimes when we try to explain as pastors what joy is, we find it really hard because I don't know that there is a word that explains what it really is inside. But you know when someone has it. And sometimes we'll say that a person is the opposite of joy. They're kind of Grinch-like or or grumpy. I can be Grinch-like. There's no doubt, especially at Christmas time when people are spending lots of our money, I get grumpy. Because free is my love language. Keeping money is something I love to do. And on the other hand, sometimes we think that maybe joy is this crazy experience, uh, like SpongeBob SquarePants or 
for older folks, Daffy Duck, just sort of outrageously out of control kind of stuff. That's not joy either. Both are bad ideas, in, in my opinion, because neither really completely tell the truth about joy because the truth is the Bible talks a lot about joy and it tries to help us to understand it, but joy that God has for us really isn't an emotion. Although having joy will allow you to express emotions, it's more of a state of mind and even deeper than that, it's a state of heart that gives us something inside that even in the midst of calamity and problem and sorrow, there can be this light that bursts inside of our hearts. And there can be a joy that bubbles up. It's amazing. Joy, this fundamental promise from God. And, and what I hope we can discover as we move through this series, this, this Christmas season, is that we will come to understand that joy is a key ingredient to understanding the story of Christ. So let's listen to the story of Christ a little bit. Luke chapter 2. We're going to talk about a piece of the story today. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And this concept of joy is introduced. It says this, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Ah, oh, great scripture. Familiar. Doesn't it feel good to hear it again? We, we read it at Christmas time, and it conjures up great memories of us, to us, for us. But if there's a single word that describes what Christmas is supposed to be about, it's, it's joy. And it's all over the carols that we sing. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Oh, come, are you faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. You've heard those words. They're wonderful. And all those lyrics that we sing since we were children relate to this moment in history when an angel and angels visited some lowly shepherds. And it's not hard to feel pretty good when you sing those songs. It, it feels good. I hope you felt something tugging at your heart as we got through the first carol of the season this morning. We find the word joy translated from Scripture about 430 times in the Bible. It's amazing. But you know what? You don't find words like happiness translated, like maybe 10 times. Joy is a bigger deal word. Happiness sometimes means that things are going my way, that moons have lined up, or I'm getting what I want for Christmas. That's happiness, right? And we like that. For those of you that can remember, what was an item that you wanted really bad when maybe when you were a kid and you got it? You know, that, that thing you wanted really bad and it showed up under the tree somehow. Anybody got one that comes to mind? Speak it out. It's okay. A what? Frogger? A what? Oh, Frogger, the video game. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? A Casio keyboard? You got one? It brought happiness. Who got a horse? What'd you say? Barbie Dreamhouse. Barbie Dreamhouse. What'd I hear? Horse? 
What's somebody said horse? No. You said you got a horse for Christmas? You're very cool. <laughs> That's huge. By the way, this guy right here has been in this church, I guess, longer than anybody here. You first started, was, was Shirley here before? So Shirley was here in the 40s. When did you come? 1945. Who brought you to church? It's Grandma. What about that? You guys got to know these two people. Shirley's on the back. I don't know when Shirley came. Anybody know? Don't know. Yeah, that's a long time ago. That is before me, even. That's awesome. Those little moments in our lives when we get something that we want, that's happiness. But you know that happiness can go away. We can break that toy. We can lose that toy. I, I remember a thing called Spirograph. This goes way back. Anybody remember Spirographs? Those were so cool, and they were green. You had all these pens, and I can smell those pens as I just Spirographed all over. So much fun. There was a thing called Silly Sand. Anybody remember that? Probably yeah, just me. Remember it? Yeah, it's had a smell. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting weird, so I'm going to stop. But the thing is, that, that moment of kind of ecstasy when you get what you want, that's happiness. That's not necessarily joy, though. Because joy stays around even when the gift goes away, or even if the gift doesn't arrive, or if you lose the gift, or, or break the toy. And sadly, as you get older, happiness becomes harder to discover for some of us. What we want expands, and oftentimes we try to fill those empty spaces inside of us with, with things that aren't good for us. You know, a Hot Wheels track just won't do it. It takes more to satisfy the longing that's inside of us, and this empty void grows and grows, and you and I, most of us in this room today, understand this, and all of you online today, we love you so much, and we know that many of you understand this, uh, that, that this void that we often feel is a God-shaped void, even though we may not know it. It's a place that only God can fill, but we try to fill it up with spirographs and other things and more expensive toys as we get older and maybe other things that come into our life that can cause real problems of it for us. So that can be a challenge in understanding joy. And, and, and this is in your notes if you want to take some. The challenge in understanding joy is that most of the time we connect it to happiness. Okay? Happiness is different than joy. Happiness is getting the toy you want. But joy is being able to handle it when that toy is lost and still have peace inside your heart. And I think these words of Scripture in Luke chapter 2 help us understand where God joy comes from. We, we learn from the experience of these shepherds some wonderful things. These, these guys are out minding their own business. They're just punching the clock, living the life of a shepherd. And it was a very common kind of low-income place to be at, by this time in history. And their normal everyday life got interrupted by first an angel and then a, a whole worship choir of angels. So here's these guys. One moment they're just tending sheep in the middle of the night. It's a, it's a regular day. They've had their snacks. They're kind of sitting around talking about what they're going to do when they get off, except shepherds didn't really get off. They oftentimes just stayed the whole time, slept on the grass, and the next minute, you're being scared out of your minds by an angelic choir. The Bible teaches us that literally, literally, this angelic experience they had terrified them, scared them out of your mind. That would scare me. Freaked them out. And see, guys, I think that even that teaches me something. It, it teaches me that God's plans 
for us aren't always wrapped up like a cuddly baby in a manger. Maybe that's where God wants to get us to, but the plans for us sometimes is a different space, uh, the, the, and, and we don't find God easily sometimes, and God doesn't get our attention easily sometimes, but he'll do whatever he has to to get our attention. And he's always trying to find ways to do that so that he can get us all to go to that manger. And so sometimes the callings of God, the experiences of God, arrive in an outrageous event, a thing that just looks like life taking place, but God gets involved with it, and it terrifies us, like a job loss. A job loss can actually take you closer to God. A challenge at work can take you closer to God. A challenge is in a marriage where you're going to have to work in that marriage and listen harder and experience something deeper and change and learn to say I'm sorry more and, and learn to be humorous and learn to listen and, and care in a different way than you thought you would have to when you got married. Even in that situation, that can be God working to rattle the tree of your life so that you will eventually make it to a place of peace. And those things can disrupt us, and, and we can say, I'm losing my joy because of you, woman. Stressful day. Stressful days cause us, in many cases, eventually to pray harder. Sometimes we don't. But they should push us. Disruption for God is when God interrupts our plans with a better one. And I find it hard to say that even because I like to plan. I'm a planner. I fail to plan well sometimes, and that can cause me problems. But I live my life with a plan. My wife will tell you I'm a rigid guy. I, I get up early. I, I do the same things every day. I like routine. That's me. That's how I, I get things done. And... Plans don't always go my way, but I, I really try. So planning is important to me. And a lot of people do that, and it can affect their sense of happiness when things don't go the way they wanted to. I was in McDonald's the other day getting a healthy breakfast, and I was standing in line waiting. I'd already ordered. You know, I use the kiosk because I'm a cool guy, so I punch it in because I don't want to have to go up there and talk to people. But I punch it in and go in and, and waiting for my, my breakfast, especially the coffee. I think they have good coffee. And so this lady comes in dressed in business clothing, and she's huffing and puffing and complaining that she's late for work. I smiled at her. I said, oh, I get it. I get it. She placed her order. And there's a line of people in front of me, okay, and they're starting to get their orders. Well, she was so impatient that she walked in front of all of us and went to the front of the counter, and she said, I'm late for work. Do you understand me? And the poor worker behind the counter said, you know, there's a lot going on. I'll get it as soon as I can. And she went off and started complaining. She tried to talk to me about it, but I sort of did this, you know. And she was trying to talk about customer service. I mean, I didn't want to get in a fight. I didn't know I was going to go throw down. And so she said, oh, customer service these days, they just don't care. And I go, well, what about my breakfast? So anyway, the worker did something special. She went and got the lady's food, gave it to her, and the lady huffed off in another direction. That lady was having a bad day because her plans had not worked right. First of all, she was late for work. And even though she was late for work, she felt like she had to go into McDonald's and get that healthy food. So, you know, <laughs> whatever. But that's how plans go. 
I don't know if she felt joyful. I don't know if she's in church today. I couldn't tell if she was a believer in Jesus. She might be. But for that day, she probably would say, I did not have any joy when I started in today, all because McDonald's don't know what they're doing. That's how plans go, right? That's how plans happen in life. And sometimes it's not bad planning that makes the day go bad. Some days God just says, today is, is about something else for you. Today is not going to be what you planned. I've got something else to tell you. And so for these shepherds, this moment was about something else for them. I love this story. And God makes it clear he's the guy showing up. I mean, when an angel shows up, you know, from God, that's a clear message. You know, you don't have to pray about that. You just, oh, yeah, okay, yes, Lord, that's what happens. He sends an angel of the Lord. And this is a fascinating story for me to to take in how God chooses to reveal his birth First, to the simple, lower-than-working-class people called shepherds. You know, instead of passing out cigars, he sends angels, and it blows the shepherds away. Now, we don't know their names. We don't know their stories. We don't know anything about them, whether some of them were kind of good guys or whether they're bad guys. The Bible just says shepherds. But that word by this time in history, says a lot about who they are. Many of you know this. In general, the Bible reveres the role of a shepherd. You and I feel mushy about the Lord being our shepherd. And in the Old Testament, it was a noble profession. It really was. Abraham's a shepherd. David, we know, famous shepherd. But by the time we get to Christ, the culture had changed. And the shepherd had been lowered on the status class to, to the bottom, and they were deprived of civil rights. They couldn't hold office in the city government. They couldn't testify, sign contracts, experience legal matters. They were guys who couldn't attend temple because they worked around the clock, literally. Most priests, history tells us, referred to them as sinners. Just they're sinners. That's what shepherds are. In fact, I read recently a historian who wrote that by the time of Christ, there were rabbis who were astonished, and they wrote about their astonishment that God was described as a shepherd in the 23rd Psalm. They said something to this effect. Can you imagine the ancient text describing our father as a shepherd? They were disgusting to people. Yet God seeks them out first. They're the first, and he makes them famous. And this angel comes to them with this announcement for the entire world, not just for them. And it's not a quiet announcement. The sky's filled up, and all these angel beings are singing. It's amazing. It's a massive announcement. It's meant for the entire world. And it says there's good news of great joy that will be for everyone. And the news that we have for you is that joy will come to everybody because of what just happened. That's what they're saying. And the good news of great joy is in verse 11. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. To you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The King James puts it in this colorful way that many of us remember. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This verse is pivotal to understanding joy. It really is, because this is where we can trace down the truth about joy. And by the way, when this is all happening, there's no such thing as Christmas. So it's not in the context of candles and beautiful music. 
It's just happening in these people's lives. And this single verse is powerful to me, this kind of joy that leaves you breathless or wordless or gives you a sense of wonder. That's the message that came from the angel. And so there's a few things I want to say about that that I, that I think are biblical, and I think they help give us context about joy. And first of all, it's this. Unspeakable joy is a promise from God. I want you to hear that. It's a spoken promise from God. It was birthed in prophecy. Okay? To be birthed in prophecy means it's built around a promise of God. Those are the best Best kind of promises are those things in Scripture, these prophetic promises of God. And and a prophecy for those people is basically a wish list from God. It's what God is saying He's going to give you. It's what God is saying is going to happen. A prophecy is a spiritual savings account. So notice the simple phrase, born this day in the city of David. And a lot of people think the city of David is Jerusalem. It's not. It's not the capital of the faith. It's Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem. Today, Bethlehem's a pretty big town, I'm told. But when Jesus was born, it was a tiny Jewish, just a village, a small place, a hamlet, very insignificant. We sing the song about, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see you lie. That's intentional because it was tiny, it was small, it was amazing. And Bethlehem is called the city of David because David grew up there and he's famous in that land. He was a famous king and his father Jesse and his seven brothers and those people in that Israeli culture revered David. He came from Bethlehem. In fact, David tended sheep in fields outside the village just like the shepherds were doing. Maybe the same exact fields. And something even deeper and richer is is there for me. 700 years earlier, the Lord had spoken through a prophet called Micah and declared that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. It's beautiful. Notice it says, though you are small. The prophecy came 700 years before. It was amazing. It's just a clan. Today it's one of the most highly visited tourist towns in the world. But in those days, it was small and insignificant. And even though it was tiny, Jews understood this would be the spot of the source of the Messiah, those who cared about it, the city of David. Now, ironically, the priests often and the the spiritual culture that had grown up had forgotten all those prophecies. They didn't pay a lot of attention to them. But common people did, and those shepherds did. So it was easy for these shepherds to know what to do. Luke chapter 2, verse 15 says, When the angel had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Okay, so they knew where to go. They knew what to do. And so straight up, they go to Bethlehem. They knew that, guys, because of prophecy. They knew that because of the promises of God. Secondly, I think it's important for us to see that this joy arrived in a miraculous yet very human way. The gospel story is filled with glory. It's divine, but it's human and humble. 
just like your life. And that trips you up sometimes because you tend to see just your humanness. But alongside of your humanness is a glory of God when you accept Jesus into your heart. Do you understand that? And your breath still smells bad. You have bad days. Your feet hurt. But there's a glory on your life. And that glory is something that we need to turn to. The angels just simply say the baby's been born. He's a human-looking baby. He's delivered in a real human way. Mary went into labor. Young Joseph got nervous about the birth of their child. There's no scriptural or historical evidence that, that she avoided the pain of childbirth. She experienced morning sickness, I imagine. She probably, I say this carefully, she probably got moody. And even she probably pushed him out the door to go get her some waffles and hot syrup and pickles. And we do know that. It was normal. But I, I'm sure we understand that she didn't point her finger at Joseph and say, you did this to me. We know that part because this came from God. But I'm sure they had their arguments. There was no miracle birth, guys. It, it was a miracle, but it was a human birth. And what they found when they went to the stable was a human-looking baby. That's crazy, huh? See, we look for God to be bigger sometimes. We look for God to be in this glorious state when in actuality he works in things that are very humble and very humor, uh, very, very human. And that understanding is part of our joy because we as Christians believe in this miracle. We believe in this miracle birth. We believe it was a virgin. We believe there was an experience of Jesus. It was real. We believe that it was God in the flesh. We believe that it's heaven and earth colliding. And that's part of our joy, guys, is that sense of belief and wonder. Believers believe. Would you say that with me? Believers believe. We believe in that stuff. We can say, sure, I believe in miracles. We believe in the wonder of prophecy. We believe in a virgin birth. We believe in a resurrected Savior. We believe in that stuff, and that gives us wonder and joy. And so I just want to remind you of that today. I want to call you to that if maybe you've been listening a lot to others in the world who want to tell you not to believe in it. There are theologians, scholars who have said that it wasn't really that way. This, there's no such thing as immaculate conception, that it wasn't a miracle birth, that Jesus wasn't born that way. That's not how it happened. It was a normal human thing, and Jesus was really just a prophet. And when I hear things like that, I just get weird. I go, wow, why believe it all? If you don't want to believe the prophecy, how can you believe in a heaven if you can't believe in a God who could inhabit earth? Why would you think that you have an eternal soul if, if you don't think there are indications in this history, in this life that we lead, that God came in flesh and blessed us with his presence? But people, people want to help you buy into, people want to push you to, to buy into this thing that it's really just carbon, that there are, there is no such thing as miracles. And, and I just find it astounding because to me, it makes scientific sense to believe in a God. A guy named Lee Strobel, and I'm going to kind of wrap it up with this. He, he was he's a pastor, but he was an atheist uh, in his 20s. 
And he said something really astounding about that. And he said this, to continue to be an atheist, I would need to believe that nothing produces everything, that non-life produces life, that randomness produces fine-tuning, that chaos produces information, that unconsciousness produces consciousness, and non-reason produces reason. And he says this, and he says it with a chuckle, I simply didn't have that much faith to keep being an atheist. Isn't that awesome? You ought to read his book. It'll touch your heart. God is divine, and when we believe in that, it leads us to understand that unspeakable joy brings us, brought us a Savior, a real Savior. In the town of David, a Savior has been born. He's Messiah, the Lord. Savior, Lord, and Christ. Three words chosen specifically because of what they meant to those people. Savior is an Old Testament word that meant one who delivers his people. Lord is a term for God or a deity. It's a synonym for God. And Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. Our Lord, the one who came, the baby, is the one who delivers his people. He is the Lord, and he is the anointed one. And you, my friend, can believe in that. It's true. And it's a part of your life. You're human, regular, everyday, get tired when you work too hard, stay up too late, life. And here's what that means for us. It means joy. It means joy. Joy that you can't even speak about. And guys, as I tie this together, I, I want to say this. When, when Christ came, his birth was first announced to these outcasts of society. That was God's choice. They were the first ones to hear this good news. And that's a great lesson for all of us because he came for the forgotten people of the earth. And, and, and if you think about that, that means he'll come for you too. If he would expend his effort to send an angel to a shepherd, he'll send something to you just as glorious. Tie it all together. And guys, that should leave you in wonder. So I'm praying for you this Christmas. I'm praying for your hearts. I'm praying for your Christmas experiences. I hope they're marvelous. I hope that Thanksgiving was phenomenal. I hope you got almost sick you ate so much food. And maybe, wow, if we have another round of ham and turkey, we probably will get sick, but we're going to be thankful for it because it means that God has blessed us. I hope you have all of that. But if you have none of that, you can still have joy. If you have no family, if you have no memories, if you got no presence, you can still believe in this miracle. And I call you to that today. Would you bow with me? I give you praise. I give you praise, Jesus. I give you praise... And I know my words are not adequate. I give you thanks, and I know my thanks is not enough. I give you glory, God, but I have none to give you except what you give me.